I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 286 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, today's guest is a legend in the hunting world. He is a professional big game outfitter and host of many hunting shows. Jim Shockey joins me today. You may have seen Jim on his widely popular outdoor channel or sportsman's channel shows, Jim Shockey's Uncharted or Jim Shockey's Hunting Adventures. His daughter, Eva Shockey, is a famous outdoor lifestyle influencer and hunting phenomenon. Jim's son-in-law, who is married to Eva, is first-class father, Tim Brent. You can hear my interview with Tim Brent right here on the podcast back on episode 183. The whole Shockey family is first-class all the way, and I'm honored to have Jim here with me. Jim Shockey will be here in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And as you guys have heard me speak about before on the show here, hunting is something that I have never experienced, but I definitely will at some point here. The idea of taking my kids on a hunting trip is very cool. I know that many of you dads out there are avid hunters, so I hope you will enjoy this episode. Tomorrow on the podcast, I will be speaking with the creator of The Love Sack. Sean Nelson got the idea for an oversized beanbag 20 years ago while sitting on his couch. He turned that idea into a successful furniture company. Don't miss out on tomorrow's episode. Sean takes us from idea to product to company as he shares his fatherhood journey with us. And guys, don't miss out on some of these great discounts available to you first-class fatherhood listeners out there. we got a limited time on these. Hit redcon1.com. Use the promo code FATHER, and you guys can save 20% on supplements, drinks, MRE bars, the whole bit. Also, time is running out on my partnership with Strike Force Energy. You pour their packet into any drink, it makes it an energy drink. Visit StrikeForceEnergy.com, and the promo code to use there is FATHERHOOD. All right, so let's go, dads. Please, if you could, hit me with a rating or a review over on iTunes. It really goes a long way to help me out, and help me spread the word about the podcast here. Tell every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list about the show that is here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with big game hunter Jim Shockey. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, dads, are you looking to boost your energy level? Strike Force Energy has got you covered. With a Strike Force Energy packet, you can turn any beverage into an energy drink. Their original energy packets contain no sugar, no calories, just an explosion of energy and flavor added to any beverage. Strike Force Energy is veteran owned, and all their products are made right here in the United States. Co founded by Navy SEAL Sean Matson, Strike Force Energy blows away the energy drink competition. Right now, first class fatherhood listeners can save. off their purchase by visiting StrikeForceEnergy.com and using the promo code FATHERHOOD. StrikeForce Energy turns any beverage into an energy drink. Get yours today. StrikeForceEnergy.com, promo code FATHERHOOD. Joining me now, First Class Father Jim Shockey. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you very much. It's an honor and a pleasure. All right, let's start it right here. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? Two. Our son, Granlin, is 33, and our daughter, Eva, is 31. Yeah, very cool. What type of sports or activities were they into growing up? You know, Eva was a, was a really good field hockey player. Uh, both of them played tennis. Our son, Granlin, was a uh, good soccer goalie, and... and uh, 
you know, both of them could swim, but I, you know, I was a swimmer when I grew up, uh, you know, traveled all over the world for it. And I, I kind of pulled them away from that, but I suspect both of them would have been good at that sport as well. Yeah, very cool. Did you ever get involved with coaching them at all, like with the soccer and stuff, or did you always enjoy that stuff from the sideline? <laughs> I can assure you there's no worse soccer coach in the world than I was. So, uh, <laughs> that, that, that was not, that's not one of my skill sets. Uh, so I, I watched from the, from the sidelines with uh, Louise, my wife. Okay, very cool. If you could, Jim, please, just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was um, uh, I started as an antique dealer out of university and had Ralph Lauren come in and pretty much buy out most of my inventory to furnish his Ralph Lauren country store. So I used that amount of money to get into the outfitting business. So I'd already been writing for outdoor hunting, fishing publications, and so I had a bit of a profile and used that to springboard the marketing of, of my new opening territory, basically taking hunters out into the wilderness of British Columbia um, to go hunting. It's a, They're like deeds to a house. You, you buy the rights to use the land, mostly crown land up there. And from that, uh, that kind of morphed into a television career, which was originally to market the hunts, but uh, in the end became larger than our, our opening territories uh, up in the Yukon and Saskatchewan and, and uh, on Vancouver Island and British Columbia. Uh, so so it's, it's been an interesting interesting career ride for the last 35 years. I, I, my wife often says that uh, I baited and switched her. I started as an antique dealer. That's who she married, an art dealer, and uh, ended up with an outfitter. <laughs> yeah, it's been an incredible journey for sure there, Jim. And uh, about about how old were you when you first became a dad, and how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? I was 26 years old uh, when Louise and I were married, and, and uh, 27 when our son Bramlin was, was born. Uh, I, I mean, there, there's no greater thing, no greater calling, uh, I don't believe, than... than becoming a, a father, a mother, a parent. I mean, that's why we're here on this earth. And, and <laughs> you know, any any father out there listening to this right now, any parent knows that incredible feeling of, of I guess it's comprehension when you hold your your child for the first time. It, it's uh, it, it's life changing uh, for the for a, a better way for anybody that's uh, that's a parent. Yeah, very well said. And and about what what age were your kids when you first let them start shooting and then eventually, uh, you know, go hunting and stuff with you? Uh, you know, I, I was very careful, both Louise and I were very careful about the drawing the children into what I love. And Louise, my wife, is absolutely not a hunter. I mean, she can shoot a gun very accurately, better than than uh, I am actually with handling a gun. Um, but, I, you know, the, the allure of being, you know, kind of wild, you get to go out into the wilderness and, and look for animals. It's, it's a pretty natural thing to be in. And like I say, the, the allure is there. I've seen many other outfitters 
get their kids involved at an early age, and and that takes away some of the options they have, uh, you know, for for education particularly. So so I did let them shoot, and I you know supervised obviously, uh, and and you know Bram and our son when it when it was legal for him to go hunting, I think he was ten years old, was the first time I really let him, you know, be the hunter. Before that, both of them had come along on on uh, not not the real exotic trips into the true wilderness, but but local local hunting trips. So so they were exposed to it. Um, Bramman took to it naturally. Eva uh, sort of took her mom's side and became more of a, a dancer. In fact, she was a, a competition salsa dancer, dancer and had never hunted <laughs> at all. Uh, when she came back from university at the age of 20, that's when she told us she uh, had decided she wanted to learn how to hunt. So she came in it that way. Our son, Bramman, at 16, told me that if he continued on a hunting path, he would always be under my shadow, and, and uh, he wanted to, you know, still be in the hunting industry, but in a different um, way than I was as, as a hunter. So he, he got into production, uh, television production in the outdoor industry. And so so they, it was kind of funny how they, one started as a hunter, the other one not, and then they switched, switched places later on in life. Yeah, so cool. And I, I'm more like uh, your wife, Louise, there in the sense that I, I'm not a hunter. I, you know, I'm not a, I'm a more city guy here, but it's definitely something that I would like to eventually experience. I have four children of my own, three boys and a, and a girl, and I would love to experience things like that. I just recently, you know, took some fishing and, and trying to get myself more into these things that make me uncomfortable. What What would you suggest to be like the best path for like a non-hunter, non-shooter guy like myself that wants to experience these type of things with their kids? What's like the first steps or the best way for you know guys like me to go about doing that? Well, I mean, the outdoors is not that far away from any city. If you're if you have the desire, and I mean, there's no limit to desire, but desire is need. If if you really want to, you can you can get out there and and you know find somebody who hunts who who can take you with them to sit on a stand and and experience what it's like. Uh, you know, when the, the dawn rises from gray to, to to light, and the sounds of the wildlife, how the world, the natural world changes, and the, the fresh air, the exercise, the, the wonder when the first animal, whether it's a squirrel or or a woodpecker, comes by your stand. Uh, you know, those are not. It's not that difficult to experience. So you just have to have the desire to really want to do it. Now, if you Want to take it to a higher level? There's there's courses to learn how to hunt. You can't and and use a firearm. You, you can't. It's highly regulated. You can't uh, go buy a gun and go kill a deer. That's not the way it works. You're you have to learn and and be sanctioned to do that license. Then you've got to learn the skills that are that are part of the process of being a hunter. That you know, with our urbanization, and maybe that's in your case, I'm sure your antecedents were rural. They had to be because we all were. All of our antecedents were. So, you know, we've lost those skills over the last three or four decades of urbanization. So you, now we have to relearn them again, and that means finding someone who can teach you. And there, there's all kinds of fishing game uh, clubs, wildlife uh, federations in every community, rural community, 
uh, around North America, Canada, and the United States. So join one. You'll meet people and, and start that way. It, and I'll tell you, if you if you go down that pathway, it, it's a, truly a pathway to enlightenment and, and, and wonder about this world, uh, tolerance, things that in the city we, we sometimes lose sight of. And, and uh, besides the fact that you'll be eating organically field to table, there's no better thing to be you know, existing on than, than wild game. It's natural. It's the most natural thing you can possibly eat. So, so I, you know, like I say, there, there's clubs, there's ways, there's means. That, uh, but if you don't want to go that far along it, go sit outside in, in a rural setting and just sit. And, and watch what happens around you. Let that, you know, the water calm around you, and and, and nature happen. It's it's uh, like I say, wondrous. You, you'll you'll never regret it if you do put on that pathway. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And it's definitely something that I would like to experience. And, and like I said, I, I just recently took some fishing, but but there's there is something as I've gotten older here. Uh, you know, the thought of actually killing your own food and eating it and taking it, like you said, from field to table, there's something about that that's very attractive. So it's definitely something that I want to experience, and I'm not too proud. To, you know, my kids are well aware that I'm not a fisherman and a hunter, so uh, we'll get a chance to learn and experience those things together. Um, and, and what about as far as, like, when were you first uh, approached, or how did you, the first TV series or show go about, and how was it for you the first time camera? Like, was that an uncomfortable experience for you, or did did it take a while for you to adapt? And did you have some training for that? How'd that all work? Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty centered in who I am, and I, I you, you, if you put a camera in front of me, I, I don't really see any reason to act differently than I, than I am in real life. Why, why would I? I'm, I'm not an actor, and I'm quite happy being who I am. So, the camera, the experience of having a camera there documenting what I happen to be doing was no big deal for me, and, and certainly I did not have any training. Um, probably, you know, Brad Pitt doesn't need to worry about losing his, his job to me, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a natural progression. I was a writer. I probably published a thousand magazines, articles over the years, and outdoor publications, and uh, it was about the time that the Cablevision networks were looking for content, and I had a company that had a show, I think it was ESPN, uh, came to me and would I ask me if I would guide their, their host. So I did that and, and I mean I you know, I don't know. I, I it's what I do for a living. It's it's who I am. I wasn't acting the host was acting and and uh, I think it was pretty obvious when the show aired and so it didn't take long for for doorways to open uh, to other other programming opportunities as well. So so it, it, was, it was a natural progression. And, and I think 2003, I, I uh, created my own production house and we started producing our own television shows, uh, videos in the five years before that. Uh, VHS was way back then. Uh, I, because I wanted to control the creative content. I, I was a storyteller, as I said. I published a thousand articles on, and I didn't always feel that... Uh, you know, we were attaining anything higher than sort of base mediocrity on on the productions, and I thought we could do better. So I I, I, <laughs> I have endeavored to do so for well since two thousand and three. 
Yeah, and it's incredible now just the, the way that the opportunity is out there for every, you know, for people to uh, get their specific audience due to the the wide range of all the technology now. And, uh, you know, I've had guys like Matt Roloff on the show from the Little People Big World, and it, it, it's made a whole life change in his life. And it's just a, it's incredible the way we can just focus in on these certain genres of, uh, of lifestyle and we can really focus on, a, you know, you can really grab your audience. And I, I, let me pull this back into you as a dad here. Um, what type of, um, obviously, you're very disciplined out in the field there while you're hunting, but what type of disciplinarian were you as a father with your kids growing up? Dads, are you tired of taking supplements that never deliver? Well, Redcon One was created to ensure that you get real hardcore products that deliver real results. Trusted by four-time world's strongest man, Brian Shaw, and founded by supplement entrepreneur, Aaron Singerman, Redcon One is crushing the industry. You have to try their MRE bars, which are packed full of nutritious food sources that will replenish your system when you need it most. And they taste so good, your toddler will think they're eating a candy bar. But we're talking whole food meal replacement. And right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save 20% on their entire order from Redcon One. Simply use the promo code FATHER at the checkout. So let's go, dads. For the highest state of readiness, choose Redcon One. Visit Redcon1.com, use the promo code FATHER, and save 20%. What type of, um, obviously, you're very disciplined out in the field there while you're hunting, but what type of disciplinarian were you as a father with your kids growing up? We, we, we made a rule right off the bat, Louise and I, that there was no hitting in our family. It was, that was a line that absolutely our children were not allowed to cross. They weren't allowed to hit each other, and we never hit them. So, you know, there was no corporal punishment. There, there was... You know, Louise was dealing with the children, Ben and Eva, more than I was during the day. But I was always there as, as kind of that, that, you know, fearsome dad if, if I, you know, I was ever pushed to that limit, which, you know, I guess, I guess it's, uh, I'd like to think of it as respect. The, uh, you know, probably there was a touch of, of fear in there that the kids never really knew you know, what it would, what would happen if they pushed their dad past that limit. And, and hence, we never had to do anything, other, you know, you know, never had to hit a child or spank them. Um, it, it worked for us. We, we, uh, we were strict, I would say, but not, not where you knock the, uh, independence out of the children, the self-reliance. You, you wanted them to take initiative and the, we we never we were, we guided them, but never held them on a chain, uh, you know. And, and I guess Louise and I looked at it, you know, if we our job was to get them up to university alive, and then it was uh, and it was over to them at that point, and and that's that's what we did. We uh, we instilled, I think, respect for adults, respect for the parents without having to resort to any kind of a physical emphasis on that. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I was stricter than Louise for sure because I was, I was the one that she would call on if, if discipline was required. And the kids, of course, never wanted to at that point. So it was very, very seldom they had to, uh, had to get involved in any way other than being a, a doting father. 
Yeah, very cool. And obviously now, you know, both of your kids, you know, have kids of their own. Uh, my oldest is 13. Like I said, I have four. So I, I, you've been through this already with the with the dating scene with your kids. I've had your son-in-law, Tim Brent, on the show uh, quite a while back there. What was it like for you as a dad when your kids first hit that dating scene? And was it different the way you handled it with your daughter than your son? <laughs> it was definitely different with my daughter and my son. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my wife, uh, Louise, made it abundantly clear to me that, you know, keep my nose out of it. And they were, I mean, my our house is uh, filled with religious artifacts uh, and also with, you know, my side of the house, uh, where, I, you know, my man cave side is obviously filled with, you know, animals, mounted animals and, and uh, skeletons, all kinds of crazy stuff. So, you know, our, our daughter was already, you know, <laughs> trying to find... A, a boyfriend with me as a father, which wasn't, you know, word gets around. Her friends would tell the tale of, of walking into my crypt and, and seeing, you know, totem poles and uh, arrowheads, uh, all kinds of unusual <laughs> things that I gathered from around the world, you know, African baths and, and, and carvings. I, you know, it wasn't easy for either. You know, the, for her, she had to find somebody really, really dumb or really, really confident, and uh, thank God that uh, she, uh, you know, had a, had a lot of her mother in her, and, and uh, common sense. Hopefully, I helped along that way, and uh, and found Tim in the end. Uh, but I was told in no uncertain terms to keep my nose out of her business. Do not threaten any of these young boys that were chasing around like little bucks and rut. It was. Uh, it was. It was difficult for a father, you know, for this father to stand by and, you know, especially when you know that some of them aren't worth, you know, spending five minutes with, let alone, you know, months and months or, or a lifetime. So so it was, uh, I, I kept my nose out of it. Our son, Bramlin, was, uh, you know, he's pretty private about any of that, and I really didn't know much about any girl that he might have been dating until he uh, introduced us to the, the young lady from Kansas City that, that he married. And uh, hopefully, happily ever after with two grandchildren, both both our children. You know, I, I couldn't have personally chosen spouses for them you know, out of the you know, three and a half billion guys out there or three and a half billion women. Uh, you know, I, I would have chosen the exact people that they chose for themselves. So, so it's you know, probably best I kept my nose out of Evie's business. And, and uh, you know, they say that if you raise your children right, you don't have to worry about that. They're they're going to make the right choices because they have pride in who they are. They don't want to make wrong choices, and nor do they want to spend the rest of their life with someone that isn't their soulmate. So, you know, it, it all works out as long as you start with uh, child rearing, most important part of it. Yeah, very well said, Jim. And, and what has the transition been like for you here, going from father to now grandfather? What has that experience been like for you? Uh, you know, I, I guess I've gone from I've, I've turned into somebody everybody used to know. <laughs> when, when when the grandchildren are around, uh, Nana Weezy, my wife, you know, like I say, I'm somebody she used to know. Uh, so you know, it's. 
it's uh, you know it's not about me anymore. It's these grandchildren are, are the world revolves around them uh, in our families, and and so it should. That's that's uh, that's the natural progression. We make space, and, and uh, the new ones take that space. So so it's I, I think you you know, on a philosophical side you 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 really are faced with your mortality. This is this is an ongoing process. You know, our children, we thought the world revolved around them, and, and that was the center of the universe. Well, in fact, you know, now the center of the universe has shifted again, and it's the next generation, and and we're further from the center of the universe. And it's, uh, you know, on the philosophical side, like I said, it, it's uh, it's definitely taken a, a, a coming to terms with with uh, you know, there's there's an end game. And none of us ever escape it. And the beautiful thing is, it's it continues. It's a continuum, uh, a beautiful, natural life begets death, begets life begets death, and it's it's a uh, it, it's it's pretty amazing. I'm I'm been honored and privileged to be a, to be a, a part of this one world, this one life that we all get. Um, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, very cool. And obviously, you've had so many, uh, you know, hunting experiences. Is is there a favorite uh, hunting trip or a favorite kill that you've had uh, over the years here? One that sticks out to you? Well, I mean, you know, we get stereotyped and, and marginalized and vilified in the popular press these days. You know, they all try and paint us as, you know, trophy hunters that go kill an animal, cut its head off, leave it, you know, horrible lout. In fact, it's that's so far from the truth. The, the, you know, it's not about the killing. That, that's a tiny, tiny little part of a hunt. Hunting is about camaraderie and, and lifestyle, family, fun, adventure. These these are the greater parts of hunting. That makes up 99.999% of a hunt. So, you know, for me, it's not about a, a given kill. Um, it, it's a, truly about times that I've, enjoyed in the wildlands with my family members. I mean, Eva getting her first deer, I was there. Our son, Bramley, you know, his first deer, I was there. My my father, his last deer, we hunted together for 43 years in a row for white-tailed deer in Saskatchewan, Canada. And I was there when he got his last deer at 85 years of age. You know, those are the, those are the hunts that I remember that are that mean the most to me and, and uh, that, you know, I cherish. And I will take to my grave and and, and those are the memories that uh, that stand out for me in, in terms of hunting. Yeah, that's awesome, Jim. And what about for the future for yourself here? Uh, you got any upcoming projects coming? What, what kind of goals or plans do you have here for yourself for the future? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're at that you know, harvest time of our life, Louise will say. And, and so, I, you know, I, I'm spending time right now. I'm working on a novel. I've spent more time playing guitar than and writing songs than I have in, in the last four decades, probably since university, uh, back when I was in my teens. You know. So so I'm, I'm enjoying being, I, I guess, at this stage in life where I can do those things. It's not about having to pay the next bill. You know, we worked hard for, you know, I worked hard my entire life. And uh, so, 
you know, it's not about having a return on investment for every hour you put into something, at least not a monetary return. Now there's there's a creative return, things that I put off, like this novel I've been working on. In fact, that's what I was doing uh, before before we started talking today. And, you know, I, I want to get those things done because, as I said, the, the end of the road isn't... Uh, isn't that far away anymore? When you become a grandparent, after being a parent, you you have to face reality. So so, my goals now, like I say, are, are more on the creative side and and also the ambassadorial side to pass on the knowledge that I have and the knowledge of what hunting is about to people that don't understand what it's about and and what hunters are about, in spite of what the popular press says about us. You know that that's not what we are, and that's not what hunting is about. So I'll spend a lot of time as well um, educating people about that. Uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to the next few years. It'll 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 be fun. Yeah, you're definitely a blessing to the community, Jim. They definitely need your voice to um, to help them out. I, I understand, and I see what you're talking about. What you know, your community is going through there. So uh, you know, they are very fortunate to have you at the forefront of that. You're a great voice in that community. But let me. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Jim, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? <laughs> hey, well, first of all, I'll be speaking to somebody who's probably shell-shocked, so they're, they, they may not be in a mood to listen right now, but uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the work is, is worth every second of, of the effort and, and enjoy every second. I, yeah, every moment that you're with your new child, you'll you'll think this is the greatest moment. You don't want that child to change from that instant. And and you know what? The next instant is even better, and the next one after that is better again. And then before you know it, it's over. So enjoy every single moment that you're with your children, regardless of if they happen to be throwing a tantrum or or you know they made your your wife crazy or you're not getting any sleep. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and every moment is, is to be cherished, so enjoy it. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been an honor for me. I would say, Jim Shock, you are a first-class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on first-class fatherhood. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Jim Shockey for giving me a few minutes of his time here. It was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's podcast. I always love to read your feedback. Lock it in. Tomorrow on the podcast, highly successful entrepreneur Sean Nelson, the creator of The Love Sack, will be joining me here. And Friday, we are closing out the week with a bang. Don't miss out on this week's Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood. Retired Navy SEAL and Night Stalker pilot, Michael Rutledge will be joining me here. That's going to be a special one. That's all I got for you guys today. I am Alec Lace. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood, and thank you for doing so. Please don't forget, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers, and we're not just fathers. We are first-class fathers.